Welcome to the Biohacking Beauty Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Joe DeTori. Um, Dr. DeTori, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you and uh, what you're doing. Hi. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. We really appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's great to get the word out about hyperbarics and what we're doing out here. So I appreciate the opportunity to do this. Um, I'm a retired Navy officer of 28 years. I did, um, I did a bunch of time as a Navy special operations officer, diver, saturation diver. And then when I transitioned out, I didn't want to stay within the military complex. I wanted to do something completely different. So I went back to school. I got a PhD in biomedical engineering, and now I teach biomedical engineering. And I also teach medical school at the University of South Florida, specifically hyperbarics. So I, uh, I know a little bit about this subject, and I kind of did 28 years in the military doing it. So, um, you know, and then uh, another eight, eight years doing it after the fact and publishing papers. So and that's great. And, and the way I, I found out about you is because you're a wealth of knowledge online, especially on uh, social media. I love your, your uh, updates and the way you, you look at things. So, yeah, the, the topic of our conversation today is uh, hyperbarics and hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Yeah. Um, and so, Joe, can, can you start and can I explain how did this field start um, and what it, what it really means? Like, what is hyperbarics? What's going on there? Why is that important? Sure. So some simple breakdowns. The term hyperbarics means hyper, more, barracks, pressure. So it's more pressure. So anytime more pressure is applied to an individual than we are currently under right now, we're under uh, 14.7 pounds per square inch or about 15 pounds per square inch, give or take, depending upon where you live and so forth. So when that pressure pushes upon you, things happen differently in your body. <clears throat> in about 16, 1664, I think the exact date was, Henshaw used this uh, as a gastrointestinal sort of a fix, uh, something to help gastrointestinal problems. And it's been used many, many times between 1600s and now. Uh, to, to heal and cure and work a lot of different uh, modalities, a lot of different problems that people have. So uh, anything from, you know, everybody's tried to treat anything from the common cold to toenail fungus to traumatic brain injury. So we're all over the map on this, but we find that it, it works well, scientifically proven works well for a couple of things. And it has a bunch of mechanism of actions, which can be broadly applied, in my opinion, across a broad base of uh, present day diseases, which are, which are working. So, uh, you know, we're trying to broadly apply what's going on and then do research on it on the back end, write it up so that people can then learn from that. And maybe we can increase the number of approved indications uh, that insurance will pay for. But right now, that's kind of a limiting factor, the insurance portion, you know. Yeah, I do. And, and I know that here in South Florida, uh, any place that works with insurance is booked out the wazoo, you know, it, it two months in advance. And, and uh, it has a lot of popularity, obviously. Yeah. So as far as we're talking, we're how did it look in the 1600s? This is really... Interesting, like how how would someone treat anyone like that in the 1600s? It was it was basically a a big uh, steel iron sort of a, um, uh, a crevice or a uh, a big cylinder, and uh, it had a door that slid closed. It's this monstrosity of a device with a small window in it, and uh, and the guy put himself in it. 
and closed the door and then pressurized it. So it's come a long way since then. There are now commercially available recompression chambers that are used to treat these different diseases that people have. And uh, so it's, it's come a long way since the 1600s, but let's say that it started very um, roughly. <laughs> yeah. And we How learned a it... lot of lessons along the way. You know, we, not me, I'm not that old, but you know. <laughs> and how does it look now? Like, you know, someone wants to get a hyperbaric oxygen therapy for that matter. How, you know, how does it look like? Right. So the FDA still classifies oxygen as a drug. So you need a, a prescription from a physician. Um, and generally speaking, physicians, unless they go to my course at the University of South Florida, they don't get any knowledge of how to write a prescription for hyperbaric medicine. So it's funny, I get prescriptions that just say hyperbarics. And, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Because I can treat you here or here. I can treat you for this long or this long. We're, what are we doing here? One day, 10 days, 50 days, you know. Um, so there are many different treatment uh, plans and care plans. So the, the physician needs to be a little more knowledgeable in hyperbaric medicine and, and what the current protocols are. But all that stuff is readily available. And physicians are generally speaking, really smart individuals. So, but nowadays you need a prescription to do hyperbaric oxygen therapy in any way, shape or form. Got you. And um, so you, you did mention the fact that there are many, many different modalities that you can treat someone with. Sure. And we're... And, you know, as far as uh, we're concerned, uh, we, sp we spoke a little bit off air, we're, we're a skincare company, but we are, uh, as a uh, conscious skincare company, we're aware that uh, skin health goes well beyond what you put on your skin. Um, oh. so, yeah, so we're trying to uh, kind of, you know, gather uh, experts in different fields here in, that, in, the, in the podcast that we're talking uh right now in and try to uh purvey different modalities to to our listeners and so talking about hyperbarics as far as you know maybe outside of prescription because i know for prescription it's mainly like for non-healing ulcers or uh things of that sort but what what really happens in the body as far as as um maybe beneficial effects when when you go under hyperbaric oxygen therapy Right. So a lot of things. Um, hyperbarics can reduce the overall pain in the body. Uh, it can vasoconstrict, which it does very well. The, uh, the veins and arteries get smaller. Uh, that can reduce edema. So you can reduce swelling. You can reduce pain. Um, and, and a couple of things that we know, many things that we know right now, which are it has toxin inhibition properties. In other words, if there's a toxin that's loose in your body, like some mold toxicity, Joe's opinion, mold toxicity yeah. is a really good way of being treated. Um, but we know that toxin inhibition works well for gaseous gangrene. So I want to just be clear. Every single one of these hyperbaric treatments requires a prescription. So it's yeah. not just the on-label, not just the off-label, but let me, let me give you a, a perfect use of off-label. Everybody knows what the drug Viagra is used for. I suspect that your clientele does, as you'd imagine, right? Yeah. What do we use Viagra for? What is Viagra commonly used? ED, right? Erectile dysfunction. Erectile dysfunction. You, you would probably be amazed to know that that is actually an off-label use for that particular drug. The on-label use is a cardiac drug. And then as a secondary side effect, they found out, oh, hey, this helps with erectile dysfunction. So let's use it for that. Very commonly prescribed for that. However, 
the off-label use is more prevalent than the on-label use is now. Yeah. So, and we're seeing a lot of that. So that's the difference between on-label and off-label, but each one of them still requires a prescription. Not my, not my role. The FDA says, I just work there. Yeah, and, and we've heard a lot in recent years, uh, some research coming out of Israel, some research coming here uh, out of here in the States, as far as like longevity and uh, health, you know, overall health benefits of it. So can people get treated for that, you know, right now in the States? Yeah, so they absolutely can, and they are getting treatment uh, for that. There are uh, there are places that are popping up. So Efrati, who's the guy who did the study that you're talking about, uh, he, he did a great study, and it was placebo-controlled, randomized, crossed over, you know, repeatable. It's a great study. It does lengthen your telomeres, no question. It has been proven. It does for sure. It increases something called brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is really good at aiding neurogenesis and the, the restoration of synaptic pathways. Uh, it certainly, we know that it increases cerebral blood flow, hyperbarics increases cerebral blood flow. So all of those things are good when you're dealing with a traumatic brain injury or getting your uh, healing on or getting better at, uh, at a bunch of different things. So that kind of stuff is available here in the United States. It's not as common as the uh, on-label treatments at this point, that stuff you're specifically talking about. But more so, they've been using, we've been using it to, to try and figure out whether or not we could use it for a lot of different diseases that came up. So for instance, the flu of 1918 was treated in a hyperbaric chamber very successfully. So it's like, really? oh, wow. So when COVID first popped up, we're like, hey, virus, viral load, there's an antiviral sort of a component to this. Hmm, I wonder if it could be used for that. So we've tried, and there are a couple of ongoing studies right now. Moreover, it's been used a great deal for COVID long hauler symptoms, that lethargy, um, the reduced vital capacity, the uh, brain fog that some people have, and it's been used uh, with pretty good success there. Once again, these are all trials, nothing is final, nothing is finite, uh, and there is no like absolute scientific proof that it no kidding works 100% yeah. of the time. But every drug has a side effect, right? So not every drug works for everybody all the time, the first time, right? So we're trying. Fun. Absolutely. So how does it, how does it, you know, why would it be effective, for example, for for telomere lengthening and why are telomere length why is telomere lengthening maybe important for people who don't know? Right. So the telomeres, just to give a brief description in the chromosome, if you look down at the bottom of the chromosome, there are little legs that hang off of the chromosome. And each time you replicate this DNA, it shortens that. So what happens is using hyperbarics in that specific protocol has proven to increase the length of that telomere. When those telomeres get shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter, when they're gone, that is programmed cell death. That is basically, you can no longer replicate that particular DNA. And when that happens, that's basically the end of life, right? So yeah. now we're stretching there and we're not saying like, you're not saying it's going to prolong your life. And if you get hit by a car, you still get hit by a car and you know, <laughs> not going to help you with that. But it, it is kind of sort of a key to lengthening the telomeres, which is kind of sort of a key to longevity, sort of, you know, as nothing is absolute or conclusive on that, but it's, it's kind of a good way to, uh, to start to give you a leg up on 
aging more gracefully, if you will. The other thing, importantly and specific to your crowd, is um, is collagen synthesis. So this is a known mechanism of action for hyperbarics, and it synthesizes the production of collagen. So collagen is not just that stuff that, as you know, the stuff that people inject into their lips. Collagen is the, the skeleton of everything in your body. Everything in your body is derived from, made from collagen, started. And, and once those things are made, you know, you have to replace cells regularly and often. So that, that type of thing helps your body replicate itself or repair itself more regularly and more often. Another great thing that comes out of hyperbarics is stem cell production. So it's been proven that, uh, you know, uh, up to 20 treatments or so, you can increase by 800 times the number of circulating stem cells that are produced from inside the body, not outside the body, not exo, endo, right? So inside the body. And these CD34 plus progenitor stem cells are the wild card of all stem cells. So these are the ones that can be used for anything and they're uptake very readily in your body and they're made by your body. So they're used by your body as opposed to something that's injected, which may or may not get uptake, may or may not be able to be used. You know, uh, the yeah. jury's still out on how well the actual inserted uh, stem cells work, but the ones that are produced by you, they are used by you, no kidding. Yes. And so, you know, that was that was a question I, I meant to ask you down the line, but really, as, as far as I know, in my, in my rudimentary knowledge of uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, that's something that, that, is, that is produced in higher pressure, and it also means that you kind of need to build up to it, right? So when someone, when someone goes into like a hyperbaric chamber, is there a process where it, it kind of ramps up over time? How does it normally look like? You did mention that there are many, many different protocols, but sure. how does, you know, how does a protocol look like? What are you looking at when you, when you look to, to tr not necessarily treat something, but maybe improve something or aim towards something? Right. So we, we don't have a ramp up, uh, but oh. what we do have, what we use is you go off the scientific paper. Look, I'm a scientist. I, you yeah, know, yeah. You know, I only got one answer, right? So we go <laughs> off the scientific papers and we go, okay, we know that this many treatments at this depth and this pressure and this amount of oxygen will yield this result. And that result is maybe, you know, 800 times more CD34 plus progenitor stem cells or toxin inhibition or whatever. Right. So when we look at that, we go, OK, if I can broadly apply this anti-inflammatory nature, which we know to be hyperbarics to do, I can broadly apply that, for instance, to something like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. I can say, OK, we can use the anti-inflammatory type protocols and they may work reasonably well or there's a reasonable suspicion. Right. Like a, a reasonable yeah. person can look at the paper and go, this happened. We know this happened for this, so maybe it can be applied to that. But this is the way we do science. It's trial and error, right? So Yes, it, it, it's, go ahead. Now, we start patients off at, uh, you know, it depends on what the malady is and what's, what's happened. Uh, anywhere from 1.75 to uh, 2.8 or 3.0, depending on what the malady is. So, but they're pretty well prescribed. And as you increase your knowledge in the field, then, you know, you increase the ability to apply those across a broad spectrum. Understood. And when you talk about uh, 1.75 or 2.8, these are, these are the pressure 
the atmospheres, the pressure that you apply within the chamber, right? Atmospheres of pressure, yes, exactly. So we're doubling the pressure or we're tripling the pressure in the hyperbaric chamber. And the cool thing about that is normally hemoglobin transports the oxygen in our body, right? Uh, well, hemoglobin specifically, the red blood cells will transport that in the form of hemoglobin. But that's how you get stuff delivered to your cells oxygen-wise. When you're in hyperbaric oxygen, they did a study in 1956 where they, uh, it's called life without blood. They exsanguinated a whole bunch of pigs. They pulled all the red blood cells out of them and replaced the fluid in there with just basically a plasma. And that plasma transported a sufficient amount of oxygen to support cellular respiration without the red blood cells. Wow. So plasma can weep everywhere in your body, even through some area that's vasoconstricted, that's got an opening that's that big, whereas normally it's open this big, right? So you, you don't, you, this is how oxygen gets delivered to the tissues downstream that are deoxygenated or have decreased oxygen. Such a, so, so that kind of reminds me some, some explanation I heard of why it helps with traumatic brain injury. Uh, yeah. As far as as far as damaging the the pathways of blood to the brain, and that hyperbar hyperbarics can help that. So how how does how does that happen, or have you seen a lot of improvement in that area? So I am I'm doing uh, work with traumatic brain injury right now. We've seen a lot of good improvement. Now listen, that the jury's still out on this. This is absolutely I want to emphasize this yes. is not for, this is not the cure right? Because you know the plant analogy. I, I think I've said it on a couple of things before, right? You ask three people, what's wrong with this plant? It's dying. You go, oh, somebody says, oh, it needs water. Somebody says, oh, it needs sunlight. Somebody says, oh, it needs food. Well, the truth is it needs all three of those things. And if you just give it sunlight, direct sunlight, that plant will die, right? Yeah. It needs water. It needs food. It needs sunlight, right? That's how plants live. And that's an analogy to our human body. It's not just hyperbaric oxygen that's going to fix you. It's that plus this, plus this, plus this. So, but I'm a researcher, right? So if I want to figure out what's fixing this individual, I cut out all the other things. But what happens if you put the plant in direct sunlight for 24 hours? Well, it dies. All right. Therefore, I'm a researcher and I go, well, plants don't need sunlight, but uh -huh. that's the way research is done. But so you got to kind of change your mindset on that a little bit, kind of understand that your body requires a bunch of things to heal, not just one thing. So, but yeah, to, to answer your question more directly, uh, cerebral blood flow is increased with hyperbarics that we have, uh, you know, we have uh, diffuse tense imaging uh, that proves that. Uh, we also know that there's an increase in BDNF or brain-derived neurotrophic factor and brain-derived neurotrophic factor and a bunch of other growth factors are increased. Um, and when those are increased, then what we see is that BDNF stuff, that is basically like lawn seed, right? So you're seeding the lawn of the brain, if you will. And then, mm -hmm. you know, when you're applying hyperbaric oxygen to it, you're not only are you seeding it with BDNF, then you're giving it the oxygen to start that growth path. And then, you know, so hopefully you're, you're curing things, but it's uh, again, the jury's still out. <laughs> it's not but, complete for sure. But this is something that you guys are looking at as far as a, as a helpful modality. Um, and what else are you looking at right now? What, what are you interested in right now or are occupied with uh, figuring out? 
So, so that's certainly been the big baby that I've been dealing with right now because it's near and dear to my heart, right? We have yeah. all these military veterans that um, came out of the military and they're what we used to call shell shock. And now we're calling post-traumatic stress disorder or traumatic brain injury or whatever, multiple concussion syndrome, concussion disorder, whatever. Um, and of late, the football players have been coming up with CTE or chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Well, all of these are sort of akin to brain damage, if you will, in some way, shape, or form. And what we're finding, anecdotally, what we're finding, though, is that we're improving their, their life, you know? I mean, their, their, their living is getting better as we're doing what we're doing, so that's a good sign. But it's very anecdotal reporting. I feel better is not something that me as a researcher I can write down. I'm like, I need, I need something more than that. Can, can we get some objective quality evidence? So now we're doing a bunch of EEG work. Um, so we're doing neurofeedback therapy as well. And we're kind of sure, so showing that we're increasing the brain waves in the way that they need to be increased for you to be not thinking the things that you were thinking before and kind of feeling a little bit better and sleeping better and so forth and so on. So it's, it's so, slowly but surely we're working it out, uh, but it's a big problem. You know, the brain's one of those things that you can't just tap it open and look at it, right? You can't go, pop. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to check your brain out. No, you know, you can't go, oh, I see where it's not <laughs> oxygenated right there. You know, yeah. there's imaging, but even the imaging is not very good. And, oh, by the way, it's not conclusive that just because you increase something called cerebral blood flow, that the person's getting better, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, we increased cerebral blood flow, but the guy didn't get any better. Now what do we do, right? It's like, yeah. You know, so. so. Definitely. And so that's near and dear to your heart. But as far as maybe um, the amount of people that you treat, what, what do you guys or that come to you to get treatment, what, what are the main, like what are the main tenants that, that you see uh, people visiting you for? So mainly people are coming for the 14 approved indications sort of stuff. Uh, crush injury mm -hmm. compartment syndrome, I see a lot of. Uh, uh, toxin inhibition, I see a little bit of gaseous gangrene. Uh, carbon monoxide poisoning, um, you know, you, you see a bunch of these sort of things, uh, problematic non-healing wounds. Um, we see a lot of that. That kind of stuff is like the bread and butter. The other yeah. stuff that we're seeing occasionally or more occasionally nowadays is, is post-COVID and we're putting them all in the retroactive study category going, we want to collect all this data to see if it's actually working and how long it actually works for. Because I don't want the model where you have to come back to me once every other month or once a month to be treated again. I want you to be treated and then go away. Because what the hyperbaric oxygen does or what hyperbaric oxygen does in general is it, it jumpstarts your body's ability to go ahead and do the things that it's supposed to do. Your body is supposed to produce BDNF. You're supposed to produce all of these growth factors. You're supposed to produce collagen, but maybe because of whatever's going on, you have this systemic inflammatory response in your body and your body's kind of in shutdown mode and it just needs a little a boost to get it going again and you can get it to the point where it's starting to produce all these things. Are that there, makes sense? Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely making sense. Is, are there, um, you know, as far as research, because because you're, I bet you read, and I know you do, you read every little article uh, that is coming out on, uh, on hyperbarics. 
are there like uh, people looking at it as far as a uh, lifestyle kind of treatment where, where people do come, not necessarily once a month or once a week, but every, you know, every so often to jumpstart those mechanisms? Are people looking at it? Is it even something um, that people should do often? Well, I, I personally don't think it should be done often. But yeah. it should be done for, if you're going to do hyperbarics, my advice is to do it for a period of time and then stop doing it. Because for, for instance, let's say your problem is anemia. I know for sure that hyperbaric oxygen can help you with anemia, but it can't help the underlying problem, which may be that you just don't produce hemoglobin for some mm -hmm. reason. You have, you know, uh, you know, myodysplastic syndrome or leukemia or something like that. It's, it's not the cure for that. It can put a Band-Aid on that problem, but it's not the cure. Its job is to start your body's processes working again, whatever they may be, whether you just, you know, you haven't done it in a little while, uh, you know, but you should do it for a period of a minimum of 10 days. Some people have come and gone, oh, it doesn't work after three days and I, I don't want to do it anymore. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Absolutely. You need to build up. When, when you say build up, it builds up and pays off the oxygen debt in your body. And then and only then can the body start to jumpstart the processes that it needs to work. You know, so generally speaking, it's going to take eight to 10 treatments to do anything. Right. So I would suggest doing it in a row, five days a week, two days off, five days on, two days off. So depends on also the, the thing that we're trying to treat because if we're treating traumatic brain injury, we found that it's even better to treat people twice a day at a lower partial pressure of oxygen or a lower pressure because it doesn't do as much vasoconstriction, right? If I treat you all the way up at 3.0, there's a lot of vasoconstriction that's going on. So you're really limiting the amount of oxygen that gets to the person. So we're finding that if we treat them lower, we have an increase in, in that brain-derived neurotropic factor. So treat them lower twice a day, and then they get better, more quicker. <laughs> <laughs> and there are there, so especially when we're talking about, obviously military is going to be a little bit of an issue, but as far as we're talking about like football teams or soccer okay. or anyone that would have like uh, repeated brain injury, you know, potential brain injury, has have people looked at it as far as like preventative measures? Do people do it, you know, to maybe prevent some brain injury? Not prophylactically, uh, not that I've heard of. We wouldn't do it beforehand to prevent yeah. it because I don't think it can do much to shield against a, a traumatic brain injury. You, you, interestingly enough, do you know what? It, it only takes 1.3 times gravitational acceleration to cause a traumatic brain injury or to cause a break of the synaptic pathway. 1.3 G. That is basically a hard stop in a car or, you know, I mean, roller coasters are like four G's now. I mean, yeah. you know, a space shuttle launches, I don't know, 18 G's, something like 16, 19, 18, you know, fighter, fighter jet pilots are running around at, at seven and eight G's like mm -hmm. no problem. So you would think that that's all that's needed to make a traumatic brain injury. And it depends on where that break is, what what the pathway was that you were taking from here to there you know i mean you have these super highways in your brain basically that that 
if those are severed, well, that's a big problem, right? You know, in certain areas of the brain, depending on where it snapped, you could have a really big problem, like, you know, loss of, you know, in my particular case. So, so I'll give you a perfect example. I was driving along, I have a 1947 Chevy pickup truck and somebody did not see the bright redness of this pickup truck as I was going through the intersection, blew the red light, T-boned me. Complete wow. loss of consciousness, completely blacked out. Um, you know, a very, uh, you know, they, I woke up in the ambulance on the way to the hospital and I had a, you know, a huge brain bleed in the prefrontal cortex and you know, I had the increased emotion, I had the increased, uh, you know, anger, I had a whole bunch of issues that were going on. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a problem, right? So yeah. we, uh, we basically started the course of repairing my own traumatic brain injury while I had a traumatic brain injury. And that's where we came up with this treatment protocol that we're using currently for traumatic brain injury. And, and it kind of seems to be doing a great job. That's amazing. And, and, you know, it's definitely different when the, you know, when the researcher also has the anecdotal evidence, it makes it so much more compelling because uh, he knows what to look for. And uh, so you, just to just to maybe go back to it. So you're not you're not seeing, you know, a lot of research as far as having it periodically for like lifestyle purposes or, you know, um, maybe because we did talk about stem cells and we did talk about collagen, etc. And these are things that naturally and, and you know, uh, uh, telomere length. Um, so these are things that naturally, you know, attenuate with age, lower with age, the activity lowers with age. So right. it, it would beg to, you know, we can, we can assume that um, people are going to want to do it maybe, you know, once, once every few years to help them out with their lo just longevity journey. Is that right. something that people are looking at it? I know Efrati looked at it a little bit as far as in, in the Weizmann Institute, which is where we've developed our, uh, our the patent that we use in our uh, products. Nice. So that's near and dear to our hearts. But what, do, you, do you see people interested in it and looking at it specifically? I, I haven't seen any researchers that are doing it more specifically than the single protocol, which is 60 treatments. I brought these treatments. That's a lot of hyperbaric oxygen. And interestingly enough, if you read his study, so we're targeting older people, right? Yeah. So you're targeting somebody who is interested in anti-aging, if you will. The problem is from that study, he had 17% increase in cataracts. Guess what? If you're wow. over 65, you probably have cataracts. I'm just saying, uh, you know, 90% of the people that are over 65 have cataracts. I'm just throwing a number out there. I made that. Yeah. But a lot of people that of that age have cataracts and it accelerates cataracts. And when you have a study that does 17% of the people have increased their cataract level, what you're going to do is you're going to obviously have problems like that. And you're going to make somebody get a cataract surgery faster. So yes. kind of, you got to pick and choose, you know, there's good, but there's also some bad that goes with it. One other thing that comes out of this is um, it's something called oxygen induced myopia. So oxygen is absorbed into the eye very differently. And sometimes you can change your prescription while you're in hyperbarics. And with that particular study, you're in that study for like a four month window. So it's like a month and a half, and then you take a month off, and then you're another month and a half in treatment. Right. So 
in that time period, in that four month time period, you should not be going out and getting new glasses because mm -hmm. your vision is going to change. It will change back likely in about four months, it'll change back, but it's one of those things. So it's, a, it's an unintended consequence or a side effect. It's a minor one, not a big deal, but some people get really bad myopia, so. Mm -hmm. So what other, you know, maybe negative side effects that do you, do you see as far as like uh, hyperbarics? So honestly, we don't see a lot of other side effects. We don't see a lot of side effects, period. But there are some mm -hmm. known side effects, central nervous system oxygen toxicity being the worst of them. And that involves convulsions, visual disturbances, nausea, hearing disturbances, euphoria, twitching, tingling, and irritability. So and dizziness. And, and those are all pretty bad things in and of themselves. But the one thing out of that that's really bad is the convulsion, right? Yeah. So you, you don't want this tonic-clonic seizure sort of activity going on while you're inside the chamber. This is where your, your medical doctor comes in, your, your physician comes in and can dose it properly so that you can decrease the risk of that central nervous system oxygen toxicity. Mm -hmm. The other thing, which is also minor in nature, is uh, pulmonary oxygen toxicity. Uh, and that is uh, substernal irritation, uh, reduced vital capacity, uh, uh, dry, scratchy cough, and, and some, some pain on inspiration. That's a much lesser issue. Um, but the thing that's bad about that is the reduced vital capacity. So if you get as much as 850 oxygen tolerance units, you can reduce your vital capacity by about 4%. That's, pretty, that's a pretty good amount. You don't wanna be reducing that. So once again, you have to balance it good with bad. That's why people think, oh, hyperbarics is the answer for everything. Not everything, you know. So it's not gonna cure your toenail fungus, I can tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> you looked into it. I looked into it. So, so that's, you know, it's a, it's a good segue to, to, to really look at, you know, and obviously we're talking about your opinion here and. Yeah, you're not not you're you know again like just to uh, clarify, but where we, you were talking about you know expanding the supported or the uh, the things that the uh, that insurance would pay for, um, and working on that. So where do you see like hyperbarics going? Uh, where do you see it going as far as medicine? Where do you think it can it can influence medicine to the positive? Great, great question. So what we're talking about is this all comes down to money, right? And, yeah. and the bottom line is there are 14 approved indications and there are 30 or so off-label indications that people are treating for. Now, some of them might work a little bit, some of them don't, but the burden of proof has not been met to move it over into the approved indications. Here's the problem with the approved indications. You need a double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized, crossed-over, and repeatable study in order for somebody to go, hmm, maybe we can move that from this column over to this column. That's a big deal. That means money. So how do they do that in the real world? In the real world, Pfizer or somebody that can stand to make money from the drug will pay for a study and they'll go, yeah, we're going to pay for that study. We're going to, we're going to get 500 people in that study and we're going to randomize it, cross it, double blind it, blah, 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 blah. They're going to do all that stuff. Why? Because they have the money to do that. The people that have hyperbaric chambers are trying to make a living, number one. And, you know, aside from me and a couple of great guys like Efrati, and I'm not in that category, but so somebody like Efrati is really trying to push the science here. 
Um, you know, stuff like that, aside for just a few people that are trying to push the science, most people are just out there trying to help. So yeah. I don't think a lot of things are going to come over from this column over to this column. FDA has no like drive to do it. There's no money in it. No big conglomerate. There's nobody that's stemping Congress to go. Yeah, we, we need to get this approved. Yes. You know, there's no drug lobbyist. Once again, this is just my opinion. But there's no drug lobbyist for oxygen, right? Yeah. Nobody, nobody makes enough money off of this. We're all a bunch of poor researchers or poor clinic owners, whichever. Yeah. So. And what are what, so as far as you know, uh, Friday or people who are trying to push the science? What are they working on now? What what do they, are they trying to do? So lots of stuff. A lot of the re if if you look at uh, nih.gov, uh, I think it is. Uh, there there are like eight studies for post-COVID and COVID related, which are really, they're pushing, look, we all want to solve COVID, right? We, nobody, this COVID long hauler thing, my personal opinion, is going to plague us for a long time. And yeah. so I was one of those guys that was a COVID wow. long hauler and um, I fixed myself with hyperbaric oxygen. Uh, but, you know, and most of the people that come in for long hauler COVID symptoms are seeing a lot of relief. But once again, it's just anecdotal. It's I feel mm -hmm. better. I don't feel as much brain fog. Well, how do you measure that? Like yeah. put that on a scale, you know, so. I got it. And so you're talking, uh, you, you, were, you already gave two examples of things that you've, you've kind of uh, used the uh, hyperbarics for. So one was the, the, the car accident and the uh, COVID long haul. Did you have other things that you, that you used hyperbarics for? Sure. I mean, I've been, I've been in the recompression chamber for um, uh, DCS. I've had decompression sickness. Uh, you know, I've been in the decompression chamber for a crush injury compartment syndrome. Um, you know, I have not had a problem wound, but like I said, we treat a lot of problem wounds uh, here. And that's just the bread and butter of the organization is that that it works and it's known to work and, and it's proven. So it's pretty straightforward and easy. But yeah, I've been in for a bunch of things. I've, I've even tried a little bit of the anti-aging, although, you know, I'm the plumber that yeah. has a, a, a drain that's all clogged up, but yet I'm out fixing other people's drains and my drain's all clogged up. So I need to take the time to set aside the time for me to do this stuff and see how I feel anecdotally or send away for the, uh, the essays and the blood draws and you know to prove that my telomeres have been lengthened. I, I don't know. What's that worth to somebody? Is it worth to, to send off all that or can it just be like, yeah, I feel better. And that's good enough for people. I don't know, you know. Good question. And also, I bet, you know, when as far as like um, quantification uh, methods improve, I, I feel maybe it's going to be easier to, to really quantify it on the spot and not have to send, you know, expensive blood work, etc. Um, um, out. Maybe that would be uh, part of the part of the uh, issue. So I did have one question that that we are looking at, we, you know, there are many people that are getting confused a little bit. So when we're walking, we present in, in uh, conferences like American Academy for Anti-Aging Medicine, in biohacking conferences, and you do see companies, you know, presenting hyperbaric chambers. Sure. One of the things that I see a lot are inflatable hyperbaric chambers that only go to, I know, I think 1.3 atmospheres yep. or something like that. Why, you know, why would someone 
want to do that as or or why would someone want to do something that is more uh in you know more extreme with a higher with a higher pressure sure so there's a list of proven things and all those have been proven at a certain pressure and that pressure is you know above 1.5 if you will mm -hmm. 1.4 i think is the actual definition but that notwithstanding i believe that to be a political argument and i am not a politician so i don't care about stuff like that it science wins over bullshit every single time so right. it's one of these like listen so i have a phd student right now that is doing a double blind randomized crossed over protocol that compares 1.3 to 2.0 to see if it does the lengthening of the telomeres thing, if it does all of this other stuff. So, but the problem is that's like a million and a half dollar study for that particular wow. student. And, oh yeah, he's like, he's basically funding this out of his own pocket. And, uh, and, and you know, so, but it is done through the university. Uh, it's, it's a, you know, it's a good study. And, and you know me, I'm all about the science. I, I, I am not married to the answer. I'm married to the science and proving that this works. Either it works or it doesn't. So it's that easy. So we're gonna find out whether it works. So those, those other chambers don't have a preponderance of evidence at this point. Now, physics is physics is physics and physics works all over the world, right? It, yeah. It's not, oh, the laws of physics don't apply in your neck of the woods. No, no, no. <laughs> you know. So if pressurized oxygen helps, then maybe it does help, but how much is the question? So yeah. that that answer has not been given just yet. And we're hopefully we're going to find that out and put a nail in this coffin and say, yep, works or nope, doesn't look like it works, you know, so. Understood. And are there other uh, hyperbaric chambers or are these kind of the two main ones, one that is made out of metal and one that is inflatable? No, so the ones that I have are acrylic uh, and they're clear acrylic and uh, basically you just lay in them and you can basically watch TV, although I loathe that idea personally, um, you know, and they have they have headphones, not headphones, but they have speakers in them. So it's pretty, pretty easy to be entertained the entire time that you're in there because you're in there for generally speaking an hour or an hour and a half, depending on the issue. Um, you know, but the, the clear acrylic chambers or the, we call, we break them up into two sides. One's hard-sided, one's soft-sided. The soft-sided, they're FDA approved, or the ones that are, are FDA approved. The, nobody should get in anything that isn't FDA approved. That's just my opinion. But, mm -hmm. you know, the FDA approved ones that are soft-sided can deliver this much pressure. And I'm talking very factually, that much pressure. How much pressure is enough? We don't know. We don't know for sure. There's a bunch of anecdotal evidence that says this might work for a couple of things, but it's not proven yet. And that's where I'm at. I'm like, let's prove it or yeah. disprove it. Either way, I don't care. <laughs> but, you know, let's let's put a nail in the coffin or open the box up and let everything out. I don't care. You know. Great. So the, it seems to me the only the only um, thing that's holding it back is really funding and, and that there is no real. There's no real benefit to anyone to, to you know, fund a, a huge research on it. Right. Uh, so, you know, just to, first of all, to summarize everything up, because this conversation is, to me personally, is very interesting and we can go into the weeds, but uh, what, um, and I kind of asked it before, what, what would you like to happen in the future? Obviously, again, I know money is an issue, but what would you like to see 
happening in, in hyperbarics in the future? Where would you like this field to go? Right. So on my personal front, what I have done is I put my money where my mouth is, right? I said, listen, there is no funding to do a traumatic brain injury protocol and research study. So I just funded it myself. And that's what I'm doing wow. here, right? So literally half of the business that happens here is all pro bono. Nobody's paying for it. They are getting their hyperbaric treatments and we're doing studies on it because we want to find out the efficacy of it. But I can tell you this, on December 28th, I sat there with a bunch of friends and we decided that we were going to move the needle this year. So I want to move that needle. And that's what I want to see happen in hyperbarics is other people to move the needle. We're tired of seeing traumatic brain injury people take their lives. We're tired yeah. of seeing football players shoot themselves in the chest and saying, hey, I wanted to save my brain so that you guys can look at it and tell me about the dark spots in my brain. We're tired of the military guy that just cannot take it anymore because of his, his or her traumatic brain injury and they're killing themselves. So I was like, we need to do something. We need to do something now, not tomorrow. We don't need to talk about it. We need to stop talking about it and start doing it. So that's what we're doing here. Um, and I would like to see that happen all over the world is that people just put their money where their mouth is. It's like, look, you, you can't make money off of everything. You certainly cannot make money off research. That is just not ethical, right? It's just yeah. not because if you're being paid, then the outcome is skewed, right? So it has to be a non-paid situation. And you, I'm a scientist. So I want this to be either proven or disproven, but then we can go, all right, that didn't work. Or yes, that did work. And let's keep yeah. doing it. So that's what I want to see is I want to see people move the needle. Sounds good. And is there any way for, for people to, uh, to help? Is there any way for people to help you out? There's a whole bunch of nonprofits out there. Like I don't want to be involved in the money gathering because that's yeah. not that, that it's unethical, right? Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of nonprofits out there that are helping this kind of thing. Uh, they're helping with maintenance of the chambers, which, you know, all this stuff is costly, right? So they're helping with that kind of stuff. And you can just look up, you know, uh, anything from Keturah to Heal All Warriors or, you know, uh, America's Mightiest Warriors. There's a whole bunch of these nonprofits that are out there that are just trying to do good for our sailors, soldiers, and uh, service members. And then the NFL Players Association is really kind of pushing in on this a little bit to make sure that we get stuff going, at least for the traumatic brain injury portion of it. But, you know, yeah, that's it. I, like I said, I don't want to be involved in money raising. I don't want people to hand me money, you know, because... I don't want it to be tied to research because it needs to be free and clear and the research needs to stand on its own, you know? Yeah. Uh, that, well, you know, the, the, in Roman, Roman times, they, they chose their, uh, well, at least for some, some portion, the, the good emperors were chosen because they didn't want to lead. So it sounds like, uh, you know, money should be handed to people who don't, don't want it. Um, <laughs> um, that, that might improve medicine as a whole. So, uh, uh, Dr. Dettori, again, I, I super appreciate this conversation. It, it's been amazing. And um, you. To, me per to me personally, uh, as many people know, I, I, I was a member of the Israeli uh, Special Forces. I have a lot of friends who are, who are uh, dealing with, with the side effects of, of uh, you know, uh, being in active service and, and uh, traumatic brain injuries that are uh, caused from that. So, I... Thank you personally. Yeah. 
And uh, obviously, we're going to put everything in the description. But what what is the best way to access your wealth of information? Uh, uh, where can people see you? So I, I have a I have a guy for that, right? Because I got a guy. Um, yeah. So the guy does my social media stuff, and it's www.drdeepsea.com, drdeepsea.com, and pretty much everything goes there. Or hit me on Facebook and Instagram, Dr. Deep C as well. And, uh, you know, you can uh, you kind of look up and follow the videos. If you, if you like them, follow them. If you don't like them, you know, then my name is some other name. <laughs> you know? I, I just try to put out the truth and some people just don't like the truth. And the unfortunate thing is this is the truth. So, yeah, yes. you, but it's the truth according to Joe, right? Because this yeah. is my bias and my background comes from military and, you know, I'm bringing all this into my research. So I understand and acknowledge that I have biases. So, you know. Completely understood. And I highly recommend following you. You're really a wealth of information. So thank you again, uh, Dr. Joe Tori. It was an absolute pleasure. And uh, I hope that we can talk in the future. Thank you. Listen, thank you for having me on. It's my honor and privilege to be able to talk to and reach out to your people. So thanks again. Yes, sir.